2: The Joy of Work is the new book by Bruce Daisley, available in hardback and audio. What are the eight secrets of successful teams? What's the number one way to feel less overwhelmed at work? Why is face-to-face chat the most important thing for productive, creative workplaces? All of this and more in the book that reviewers are calling intelligent, witty and a joy to read. The Joy of Work is the new book by Bruce Daisley, out now. Make someone's day. Give them the joy of work. Hello there, this is Eat Sleep Worker Pete. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about making work better. If you're looking to get a job sometime in the next decade, and that includes almost all of us, there's a very high probability you're going to be exposed to a psychometric test. As they're becoming increasingly enhanced by AI and made more scalable via apps, these tests are going to be pretty much everywhere. So what are the implications for what work's going to look like? And is there a risk we're going to fall foul of a test we didn't understand? This week, I'm looking into the evolving nature of recruiting and how it's changing to accommodate the latest science and also innovations in technology. Firstly, I'm going to get my hands dirty testing one of the new evolving candidate testing apps that are starting to emerge. Then, I'm chatting to an organisational psychologist who's previously worked in a leadership consulting firm and now helps startups with their strategic people challenges. So before we dive in, just a reminder that all of the episodes are live on the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. If you're listening on the Apple Podcasts app, it's dead easy to subscribe and you can give us a, a rating while you're there. That way you'll get all of the latest episodes when they come live. As ever, you can always link into me and uh, you can connect with me there or on Twitter. Right. So let's dive straight in. Firstly, I was I was interested in this new app, so I shan't name what it is. But work tech is a rapidly evolving space. Lots of firms are promising that technology can go beyond the simple things like recording sick days and holidays. And the science suggests that tech can go into recruiting and candidate selection. I saw something recently where Unilever claimed that they'd replaced the first round of their selection with an interview with AI. And they claimed that the AI had improved their diversity. They had the most diverse intake ever. So I wanted to see how sophisticated some of these new things were. I managed to get an unapproved trial and what I should stress is a system that's in development. I won't name it because I'm going to fully document my experience. Having downloaded the app from the App Store, I entered my, my code and I dived in. It says, welcome, sign in over here to begin. I'll just sign in with a report I've been given okay so let me read you what it says so this is a psychometric assessment using game technology so while it's an engaging and visually appealing format it's still an assessment you should focus on the instruction carefully there are nine levels in the assessment consisting of various tasks some of the tasks are challenging simply do your best right let's try this i'm stepping into the lift corporation is advertising their office spaces to potential companies that are visiting the building you must inflate 45 balloons for their event taking place later today you can earn money for doing so It has agreed to pay you more money for bigger balloons because their logo will be more prominent tap this button to inflate the current balloon inflate a balloon too much and it will burst you'll lose any money that you haven't exchanged after a balloon has been exchanged or it bursts you will move on to the next balloon bank as much money as possible tap the help button to continue let's start I'm going to start inflating balloons okay it's becoming pretty clear pretty quickly that certain balloons are are not inflating that much and some balloons are So I'm starting to realise that if I get 40 cents worth of air into a balloon, that's often quite a good deal. That's it. My new strategy is I'm trying to get 30 cents worth of air into a balloon. If I can get that, I'm taking it. $8.55, total score, 534. Pretty soon, the balloon inflating challenge was complete. The next game was a rather more straightforward test of reflexes. I was asked to control a lock. If you can imagine circles sort of rotating, and I had to stop them at a certain point to unlock the lock. Okay, now I've got a rotating uh, safe lock, and I have to tap at the right time. The frustration was along the course to get the four combinations right that I needed. If I stopped at the wrong point, I'd be sent back to the start. And I started to worry that I might be clocking up some seriously low scores that would reflect badly for an assessor. Perhaps worse of all was that the frustration of being sent back to the beginning led me to abandoning the task altogether after about three or four minutes. Mm. What are they going to think of that? The next exercise was very reminiscent of the work of Anita williams Woolley. Back in episode 38, we chatted to Anita williams Woolley, who was interested in the collective intelligence of teams. She felt that the intelligence of teams could be assessed and then, in turn, better collective intelligence, she found, came from team members who were better able to read each other's emotions. So she found that the best way to do that was a test by Simon Baron Cohen. Anyone can do it online. This is like a reading the mind in the eyes puzzle where a face has come on. It's like a rather cartoonized face, but I have to identify the emotional expression of each face that appears. And these a list of emotions. So here we go. Tap a button at any time to understand them. I got it. Okay. So this person, I've got 50 more faces to go. Uh, I've been offered disgust, happiness, surprise, sadness, neutral, anger or fear. I mean, it's not clear. It's sort of like a ginger haired woman. Sort of scowling a little bit. I'm going to say disgust. Mm. Mm. He's a... A um, gentleman. I mean, I have to say, it's not clear what emotion he's got. Uh, Neutral. Oof, what's this? So I've given you a flavour of the test. I'm not going to lie to you. After I'd completed about eight exercises, I was dreading my results. Okay. so this is my report. I've got it in front of me. It's about four or five pages where this, this page is identifying how you should read these. There's about 20 scores. I'm marked on various things emotional recognition, I got a three out of 10. Processing capacity, I got a seven out of 10. Processing speed, I got an eight out of 10. Concentration, six. Self discipline, five. Sensitivity to reward, seven. So looking through the scores, a lot of them are around five. The ones that I've got very low scores on, emotional recognition, well you heard me struggling with the computer faces, impulsive risk, creativity, I get a three. Innovation potential, I get a three. There's some of them which are, I think probably reflect some of the, the more brain-trainy sort of fast reactions, I get a decent score on. But overall, I'd be quite worried that this would land in someone's hand. The scores aren't very good at all. Is someone going to rule me out of a job because of this? Pretty bad results. I'm not convinced I would have got my job. I don't, I'm not convinced I've got any job with those. So I guess you've got to take it on trust that I'm not hopeless at my job. Did the tests just get me wrong? I mean, I felt like I was having a really good day that day. So let's go and chat to someone who might know about these things. Rich Little Dale is a psychologist. He's a, he's a workplace psychologist. I've often bemoaned the absence of psychology in, in offices, and it's been his job throughout his career. In general, a work, workplace psychologist, that means they're working in a consultancy, bringing psychometrics into leadership tests or helping with recruitment. He now runs a company called People Up, which focuses on helping startups and scale-ups improve their their people strategy. Really, if apps are likely to make psychometrics more widely used, I asked Rich how psychometrics are already being used in recruitment and selection.
3: When they're used most effectively and most responsibly, they're used with a very clear definition of what is required for that person to be successful in the role. And that will be represented in things which should be familiar to you, like a job description or a competency framework. But at its best, that will be something that describes what it means to be successful in in this organization. So that's the competency framework bit. But also with a little bit of insight into what it means to be successful in the the surrounding team, because there's there's so much context that determines success. You would be using psychometrics, along with other things, to provide additional data to almost make a, a risk and opportunity assessment about that person in a role. To evaluate on what the risks are and what the opportunities right. are and what someone might want to do differently in order to be right. improve their chances of success. Unlikely to be a kind of cookie cutter I suppose the exception to that and, and, and as, as I as I as I go through that I realize that I'm talking about that from the perspective of my practice at the moment right. um, and the work that I've been doing for the last five years, which is predominantly at the senior, more personal side of assessment, where yeah. it's really, you know, this is a really important role in, in a big organization. We need to get this right. It's at the further down the se- selection process where they've already jumped through a few ho- hoops and it's more about fit. You also do get psychometrics used at the other end of the process, and that's probably anyone who's been through any graduate selection process is likely to have experienced some sort of ability test, um, where there would be some sort of threshold in there which should have been developed kind of carefully over time to make sure you are bringing in the right kind of people in terms of ability but not constraining your, your pool in terms of diversity in any dimension.
2: Have you sat at the end of reading a report thinking the report I've pulled has disqualified this person from a job. Do you sit there and you go, right, do you ever sit there and you've pulled off a report and it's, it's identified that someone is just unsuited? Is, is, is no. it as stuck as that, so it no. doesn't work like that?
3: I suppose what I would have done is look at a report and think, based on what the job requires, and this person, as they are described by the report... I think it's useful to talk about to expand a little bit what we mean by psychometrics. Yeah. So there's at least two types of psychometric, one which is in the region of personality and one which is more about ability. Right. I suppose if you are looking for a quantum physicist or a quant in a bank, something that requires enormous amounts of uh, intellectual horsepower and numerical reasoning and they flunked a whole series of numerical reasoning tests, yes, I think maybe that would okay. be, that would be, you know, a reasonable you know, that will give you some good data to question your right. decision but it's rare that it's as definitive as that right you know i give that example but the, but real life is much more fuzzy right the majority of psychometrics will compare your data to the data from a, a set of other people right because that's how they make sense of it they won't measure um traits or pers- personality traits or abilities in absolute terms they measure them in relative terms relative to a norm group
2: realistically h- how good can a a questionnaire be of working out how well someone works in a team compared to putting them in a team environment. You know, If someone said to me, are you a good team worker? And
3: I was catastrophically bad, but I said, yes, I am.
2: Does any questionnaire ever get to the bottom of that?
3: I think a questionnaire can, can give you all sorts of useful data to create hypotheses that you can test with that person in through conversation. In the way that I practice, is you wouldn't just use the the personality data and make a decision based on it. You use the per- take the personality data and then talk to the person right. to validate it. Right. And because these things are not perfect. They are useful in generating hypotheses, and I might look at a, a job description that calls for head of innovation and find a personality profile that says they're extremely kind of risk averse, and have a, a set of questions that explore the tension between those two things, and then a recommendation might be based on kind of where I got to through that conversation. Yeah, of how's, how's that played out in the past? You know, do you recognise this in yourself? And so it wouldn't be as crude as saying, here is the score and here is the, here is the fit. Some of the the new um, tools that are coming along, which I think, you know, we've talked about before, so the, the new artificial intelligence-driven assessment methodologies do get at something that's broader than ability, but they also are used to draw lines and make decisions early on in, in processes.
2: So we'll come on and talk about those now. The, the final question really on standard psychometrics, though, is are they in service of defensive decision-making? Is it really to just cover the arse of the rec- recruiter that they say, oh, this was a big, high-profile role, we wanted to make sure that we were getting the right person, we've basically done a few tests that say this decision was a good one. Is it in service of that, or is it is it trying to find someone who, a sort of unicorn candidate who's a remarkable fit? It strikes me as more... A bit like Supreme Court nominations. Like you're trying to sort of defend your decision rather than say, we found someone exceptional.
3: Um, I'd be lying if I'd said I'd never encountered psychometrics used in that way. Right. But that's not the way that they should be used and that's not the way that enlightened practitioners or enlightened clients do use them. And I see them in more in terms of you, you asked me earlier about what's, what's more likely to predict someone's team working, a psychometric, or putting them in a team. Um, and I think the honest answer is that put them in the team and see what yeah. happens. Um, but when you're hiring someone, it's extremely rare that you have access to really good data on, yeah. on how they work in a team. And so unless you're going to you know, hire them... Uh, and ha- and do an experiment with a whole bunch of different people and see who's best based on the, their working the team, which would be enormously expensive and impractical. You have to find ways that kind of, you know, look at all the different sources of data that could give you clues at how that person would perform. You know, if you are using interviews, which are effective, which generally speaking means that they have a good element of kind of structure to them. I guess it, you know you would use psychometrics with a whole raft of other pieces of information to take a stab at something which is essentially unknowable, which is how do you, what's going to happen when you put this person in this job that they've never done before. And, and they may have done that you know, job with the same title and broadly the same job description in a different company, but they wouldn't have done it here.
2: Yeah, but you know, I presume all the results in psychometrics, by the very nature of all these things, cluster around the norm. You know, yeah. br- br- so, so like if you tested 100 people, the results are broadly going to cluster around the norm, and there's not going to be, now, I'd have thought if you're going for a high profile candidate, they want someone who feels remarkable, not clustered around the norm. So if you're getting a set of results where this person is maybe a touch above average, I don't know what you've learned from it. I'm, I'm not disparaging no, no. Your, your profession, but.
3: It sounds a bit like you are, but that's <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a. It, it, yes. You know most people are average that's yeah you know that's kind of that's all wound up in the definition yeah. of the word yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and when you're comparing senior people to other senior people you know the chances of them appearing exceptional against every dimension are unlikely yeah but it is likely that they'll be exceptional on something yeah and also when i where i'm working most people have been there and done that and these are you know, highly effective people yeah. it's not a question of separating the kind of the great from the hopeless yeah it's a sep- it's a question of working out does this piece fit into this hole and what is likely to go right and what's likely to go wrong on the balance of probabilities you know would you go for it would you give it a go. And if you do give it a go, what should you put around them to help them do it better? Do they need a specific kind of mentor or someone to work with in terms of support like a coach to focus on specific areas like how they build relationships with stakeholders, how they, how they kind of flip between detail and strategic thinking, these sorts of things? It's possible to overstate... The kind of the role of the psychometric in the judgment because it's you know i suppose it, when, I, when i work it tends to be me with a whole load of evidence making a recommendation mm. and that evidence includes the psychometric so it's me recommending mm. which obviously has its own risks um, but it's not the psychometric that makes the recommendation um i don't think that that actually the psychometric showing that the, the person is kind of average in most respects is, is unhelpful. Right, it's, just, it's more data, it's, it's, it's more likely to lead to a good decision than if you didn't have it. Psychometrics can be used by people to support decisions they've already made, or they can be used to shift the blame for decisions they've made that, that weren't right. And I know that there was a, um, I think it was the report into um, the goings-on in Cooperative Bank. Talked about that blamed psychometrics for some of the kind of things okay. that were made, and I think and in what what did it say? Why did it blame them? It, it blamed an an over reliance on psychometrics in the in a decision making process, and I think that that was when the there was a the, I think it was the chairman, not the CEO, who was hired. Yeah, and, and effectively he was a. Well, I think, you know, read the newspapers. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not kind of Substances, into I seem to remember, were involved. There were the, there some challenges in relation to his, his style and leadership. Yeah. yeah. I think there was a little bit of buck passing going on there around, well, we made a decision and it was a hellishly dreadful one. And so it's easier for us to blame the psychometrics yeah. than to blame ourselves.
2: Yeah, but that's why I wonder about defensive decision making, that effectively you blame the numbers over there rather than any decision that a human made.
3: I think it's possible. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's probably a missed opportunity yeah. to use data that's going to help you make yeah. a decision that that would other, but otherwise be slightly worse. And we're not talking, and I, I think here, we're not talking about the difference between a, a dreadful decision and an amazing decision. We're talking in the region of, if you can make your decision-making 10, 15% better, yeah. you know, how, how useful is that to you over time, given the cost of bad hires? the cost of, Well, the cost of hiring in the first place, um, at a senior level is is enormous, and the cost of getting it wrong is even greater, not, not just financially but in terms of kind of cultural kind of corrosion of something going wrong for somebody, if you can find a tool which is well constructed, which is based on on research which has been carried out over decades, that can make your decision slightly better at actually a price which is you know pretty pretty reasonable compared to headhunters for instance you know but if i was a ceo i would do it yeah and those are the and those are the kind of the good reasons i look for for people using psychometrics
2: so i tested uh, one of these these new products now i think the aim of these products long term is to use a bit of machine learning a bit of the, the benefit of scaling technology, of, of being it able to extend psychometrics and beyond yeah. into games and apps, really. Yeah. I took this test. it's it's I would describe it as... It's a cross between brain training, that sort of app that was on the Nintendo DS back in the day, uh, or sort of like those apps and games you can get to improve your um, attention, your awareness. So, like, there was some of them... You know, I had to choose the right colour as quickly as possible, or I had to, to choose the right colour, even though words were written that were names of colours. You, you know that yeah. thing that sort of the dissonance there. Or some of them were one of them was very close to Simon Baron Cohen's uh reading the mind in the eyes test. Yeah. So it was like these computer Generated faces, and I had to try and guess what the emotions were. Yeah. I found that especially hard, and I, I scored very lowly on that.
3: Yeah.
2: Even though I've done fairly well in some Baron Cohen's original tests, uh, right, that's uh, I found the sort of the computer-generated faces. I found them hard to
3: to read. So I haven't done the original test. Does the original okay. testing inc- inc- yeah. involve real human faces? Yes. Yeah,
2: so the original test is thirty-seven photographs. Taken from magazines from the 1990s. So there's a lot of them that are celebrity eyes. Um, I think they're from things like Vanity Fair, GQ in the 1990s. You've just got a set of eyes and you're asked to choose one of four emotions that are distributed around the corners of the photograph. Um, And I scored relatively well in that. At 37, I think I got like 28 or something. So, yeah. which overall is a, is a reasonable score. Whereas in this, Although
3: presumably that is also norm referenced. So you're you need to know where you're. Yeah, no, they
2: give you they give you a score saying how you performed versus others. Yeah. So they say I was in the top 25%. So good, okay. but not outstanding. Uh, but I mean, there's some in the office who got pretty much every one of them right. Yeah. So you know, um, but I found this version, the computerized version, much harder, and and I, I struggled to to try and yeah. interpret. Anyway. Overall, then I got a report saying it didn't say it didn't disqualify me from any position, but it said you might want to ask questions about this. You might want to ask questions about this. So it was directing an interviewer how they might sort of use the the data that came from my test. Yeah. So so what's your take on this as someone who's a practitioner, obviously sort of proud of the, the knowledge and expertise that's gone into this? Is this reductive to try and reduce these things to a game? Does it enhance the profession?
3: That's a, that's a big question. Um, and I, I think it definitely could. Right. But it might not. Right. And that's a that's a slightly kind of crappy yeah. equivocal answer, but I think that's that, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. On the plus side, if we're talking about personality, any personality measure that you would have taken probably over the last 30, 40 years would have been based on, in all probability, you answering questions about yourself. Yeah. The only way that psychometrics have kind of tried to kind of get in, that the only window into, into your personality has been how you respond to questions about yourself, which of course is an imperfect way of doing it. And so what these personality questionnaires are really trying to do is predict your behavior, as it were, in the wild, yeah, and so it's predicting a, predicting a broad range of behaviours based on a very narrow set of behaviours, which is how do you respond to, to questions? You know, if you're answering questions about yourself, that the kind of first impediment to really understanding how you really are is how you think you are. These new types of me- of, of methodologies are trying to kind of get through that get through a different window, get through a window that uses different and broader behaviours to try and understand who you really are in terms of your personality and thus predict your behaviour. And I think that's a, a reasonable and sensible and interesting thing to be doing. Right. A game is your behaviour in the same way as the way, you, the way you click things when you're on Facebook is behaviour and that's why it was possible for Cambridge Analytica and the guys at, at, at Cambridge to build the models that they, that they built. I think any sorts, anyone who's looking into different ways of cracking this problem of, of, of understanding who you are and thus how you're likely to behave, I think it's something to be lauded. There are, of course, you know, benefits and drawbacks. I think one of, one of the, the drawbacks is in occupational psychology we talk about validity, which is you know, does this thing measure what it claims to measure? Right. And you can get it, it validity in all sorts of different ways. Some of it is you know, does, this, does, it, does a score in a test predict performance in a role? Um, that's crit- criterion validity, But there's an important thing, which is a bit softer, but it's still really key, which is a thing called Face Validity, which is, does this thing, this test that I'm doing, feel like it's connected to what it's intended to predict? Yeah. When you are answer a load of questions about your behavior, and then you get a report back that talks about your behavior, it's easier to see the, con- the connection, it makes sense to yeah. you. Whereas, if you are asked to complete a game, a game that has all sorts of di- different elements to it, and then on the basis of that, you get, you know, and I've, I've done, I've gone through the same, the same um, game myself and you get enormously long over, you know, a page and a half list of dimensions. Yeah. And even I, as a psychologist was thinking, God, wow, how did you get to that? Yeah. some yeah, yeah. my, some you know, I, yeah. I think, yeah, the mind in your eyes one, actually, that was one of the reasons I've been looking at this particular one as a possible alternative to more traditional Questionnaire yeah. that I use every day, and one of the attractions for me, well, it's a very kind of prosaic one. It's just quicker. Yeah, it's quicker to I I I work with um, startups and scale-ups, helping them to kind of shape um, their people practice in a way which is kind of efficient but ad- value adding as possible. Yeah, and so with that group, you know, actually. Adding value to their selection process. So you're hiring your first key hire post Series A or something. That's a big thing that you don't want to cock up. And so, if you can, if you can bring some additional insights, if you can reduce that risk, that's brilliant. But they're so focused on the time. It's it's quite a kind of reactive world. And to say you can have this kind of long, fairly kind of traditional and boring sounding questionnaire, that's not very attractive. So the idea of doing it um, quicker. Doing it in a way which is innovative, and which involves a game and probably more fun, is quite attractive. But one of the, the, the other things was precisely um, that it gets at a broader range of psychological traits and constructs. I remember a while back you had on your podcast, didn't you? And I've, I've now forgotten the name of the lady who, talk, who talks about collective intelligence.
2: Yeah, Anita williams woolley uh, That's the one.
3: And so, and so I, you know, a lot of the time when I'm working, it's focused on the individual rather than focused on the team. And I was thinking, well, wow, one of the key elements here is how does this person integrate with, their, with, with the founders? And doing something that, that gives you a clue as how effective they're likely to be in that context, particularly when you've got you know, the nature of the task in a startup is highly, highly ambiguous, mm. um, that could give me some really great useful data. And so that was part of the attraction for me, which is that it, it gets at a broader array of, of yeah. traits. So, yeah, but what's the danger? I think the danger is, well, part of the danger is it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, that doesn't, and it doesn't work is in all sorts of different respects. I would suspect pretty confidently that the person who designed this stuff based on her PhD would be able to come in here and defend the way in which the data from your game was yeah. wrapped onto those constructs. Yeah. Pretty vociferously yeah. and compellingly. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think that that is true of every organization out there who are collecting data and using it to to draw conclusions about people's behavior in the future. You know, I as a psychologist. I'm very interested in the what goes on under the bonnet of this test you know i'm I'm looking at a a connection of mine and sent me a, a questionnaire to fill in, which I'm slightly scared of filling in because it's um one thing that i they often use is is called um hogan and it's the Hogan suite it's a kind of well validated and well used set of psychometrics which is, has has a, has a good great reputation and one of the things it tries to get into is, is executive derailers okay so what's kind of what are the thing what are the traits which under pressure turn into things which can take, take you off track so right. you, do you just go straight into too much into the detail or do you worry too much about you know satisfying those people around you and your seniors
2: and Hogan is what a, se- a questionnaire set that you'd ask
3: Hogan, so Hogan is the, the person uh, he's a psychometrician but he's also the name, the, the name of the tests or, uh, or questionnaires and there's a bunch of them so there's, yeah. there's one which focuses on personality one which focuses on derailers one which focuses on motives, values and preferences and a lot more besides a, a contact who is working in this field, field has sent me a, a new questionnaire that he's devised based on DSM-5, which is the kind of catalogue of disorders. Yeah. Uh, and so it looks for traits which are like those, not, not kind of expressed in a way which is a, a, a mental health challenge, but what, you know, what does kind of sociopathy look like? Yeah expressed in a, in a corporate field. What does borderline personality disorder look like expressed in a corporate field? And um, I haven't filled in the questionnaire, partly because I haven't had time and partly because yeah. I'm terrified of what yeah. I might say. But I think it's really interesting. But when I look at that, it was, it was sent to me with a whole technical manual. It's a, a set of questions that are attempting to kind of map me against a framework, DSM-5, which is pretty well validated and effectively is the kind of the, the standard of... Evaluating uh, these sorts of things, Hogan. I can I can get I can get the manual and I can I can actually you know as someone who's been trained on a variety of different psych- psychometrics I can you know I can make a judgment around can kind of, here are the questions that here are the questions that get that that thing yeah I can look at all the data I can look at the things like the the constructs. So validity.
2: you're saying these things historically have been validated and you can look at the reasoning behind them, whereas this is a black box that you're only taking it on trust that it's validated.
3: Well, I wouldn't be as extreme as that. Right. Okay. Um, but I suppose because it's so new and because it's proprietary, yeah. it is more difficult to get under the yeah. point of how it works. And isn't
2: the law of technology that, you know, that every time new technology comes along, we're filled with optimism of, of how it will transform our lives for the better. And, you know, 10 years into the cycle of it, we, we curse our naivety for not realising that this would be the consequence. And so what I worry about with this is that, you know, that you and I could sit here now and go, wow, how amazing that the recruitment process could be enhanced by psychometrics available to everyone. So every person coming in could be more adequately matched to the right job. Right. That's good, right? That if people could be more satisfied in their job because they're better matched. Great. But one of the consequences might be people do these t- tests on existing employees they identify personality traits that maybe they don't like and they and they react they, they take actions that maybe we would consider not necessarily benign
3: um if you if you're if you're measuring personality traits Generally speaking, you need to have a, you need to have been trained in order to kind of feedback the results, and I suppose that's kind of mitigating against the risk that you know something is taken in a way which is unhelpful helpful to somebody. And you know, the BPS, the British Psychological Society, are fairly clear about what these things should cover, and that, that should help with that. But at the same time, there is a tension there. So the, the so the so the questionnaire that so the the ones that get to executive derailers do look at when things go wrong. A psychometric that gets into DSM-5 could give me data which I find difficult and requires skill for me to be able to kind of make sense of it and continue with my life. There is a degree of trust in the person in whose hands the test is. In terms of, I guess, you know, what you're talking about is excessive optimism or over-promising. And I think that's, I think it's correct to have that fear. Yeah. And when I talk about psychometrics, I'm extremely careful... To be clear about the kind of the nature of the difference we're talking about here, yeah, it's about small differences over time. It's not that this psychometrics is going to save the world or you know solve all your problems. Yes, yeah. I do. You know, I mean, this is partly my you know, p- partly my personality, I guess, and, pro- and it probably comes out when probably come out when I do that to questionnaire, wanting to kind of take a more a more measured approach. But I also think that what's happening is that that this psychometrics is being swept up in this whole Machine learning, AI, tech, boom that we're in the moment. And the language of the tech boom is not moderate language. Right. It's it's the language Absolute, of we, we will yeah. you know, this is here is the fix. Yeah. So you go on to medium. Yeah. And it's like and here's the here's here's the really easy way to solve this really complicated problem. Yeah. And you know, I am deeply suspicious of really simple answers to complicated problems. Yeah. I guess if there's a message to those who, you know, may be customers for these sorts of things, and are willing to embrace the opportunity, is, you know, have that little bit of pinch of salt with it. Mm. So, I think with all of these things, there is the there is the, the chance for enormous good. And I think it's it's if we if people could maximise their chances of finding a job that they would a be good at, and b like, they wouldn't wouldn't the world be a better place? Mm. But we do need to be thoughtful about the unintended yeah. consequences. You know, I think, you know, I wonder whether the stuff that happened around Cambridge Analytica and Facebook would have happened if there'd been, you know, a team within Facebook whose job was to look at the possible unintended consequences of what they're doing. I think there need to be people saying, well, wait a minute, what could be the unintended consequences? Is it not just, you know, is the danger in decisions which are, you know, important to us just being out of our hands? I guess there is danger in that. Yes, yeah. I kind of think the decision was out of their hands anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But you know that sense of helplessness that you turn up somewhere and you you've been at... Imagine that you turn up for an interview somewhere, or a panel somewhere, or before you turn up for the interview, someone says, please complete this game, and then you find yourself uninvited from the interview, mm. and you know, you might then wonder, what's the
3: reason? The- uh So that, 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 uh, that, that I agree with. And I think it's easier, it's easier for me because the work that I do is at a, you know, a more senior level which means a different price point. Yeah, And so that means that, you know, when I say that the, the right thing to do is to provide feedback to these people and give them some data from this yeah. process that gives them, gives them value, um, it's more likely that the client's going to say yes. Yeah. Um, and I think when you are in the business of sifting through hundreds of thousands of candidates, it's harder to do that. And so there's a, there is a there is a commercial reason for not doing it, which I think needs to be challenged, and there needs to be, yeah. I guess, solutions to that problem, um, whether that be kind of you know, automated feedback or just get, you know, giving someone something for their time. Yeah. I think there's, there's a kind of... There's a fairness aspect to it which doesn't quite chime right with me.
2: And, and you know, like that, that thing, the the woman who wrote uh, Weapons of Math Destruction about sort of algorithms. Algorithms very often have prejudices built into them. And, you know, this could be these sort of tools could end up being at the expense of diversity, both mm. cognitive diversity and, you know, ethnic sexual diversity, because you could ultimately say, well, the algorithm made me do it. Yeah. You know, the, the algorithm made the decision. It wasn't me who did it.
3: That's true. That's true. And I think that, but the other, the other side of the coin is that these types of methodology could be better. Yeah. At, yeah. B- better in relation to yeah. diversity. So if you're hiring someone through interview, it's you're based on the kind of, you're looking at them through the prism of your own kind of biases and your own yeah. personality. about what you see is, uh, see is the right kind of person. with happened at Yale, fine,
2: didn't it? Just, didn't it happen at Yale? Or, there was, um, I think it was Yale, where uh, Asian Americans were being discriminated yeah. against because they, they just decided that Asian Americans were were boring. They didn't have extracurricular interests.
3: And there's an example which, you know, as a psychologist I should be able to reference, but I can't because it was a story that was told to me about, about violinists, I think, Um and when an orchestra decided that they wanted, that they were, they didn't have, you know, enormous amounts of diversity amongst their violinists, and so they, they, they decided they wanted to audition people behind a screen. Um, and so, but it wasn't a full screen. But, um, and what they found that with auditions behind a screen, they still found that the, that the male violinists were being rated higher. Um, but what they what they realised is that because of, um, I think it was the, some of the shoes that they were wearing either they could see them or that the sound of those shoes was triggering some sort of kind of automatic template matching so the person actually knew whether consciously or not It oh, really? was, was a man um, and so when they got them to take the shoe they, 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 they tried again and it was shoes off walking in the room and then the gender difference disappeared. Oh,
2: get out. So they, even subconsciously, just the fact that they identified what the gender yeah. was from something that...
3: And um, I, shall, I shall need to do some Googling and find out whether that's a real okay. a real, real, story, yeah. kind of apocryphal one. Yeah. Um, but it, I guess the story that it tells is that, that there are challenges in relation to diversity in the way that we, we approach this stuff. Yeah. Psychometrics, particularly ability tests... Are tricky in that respect because of the challenge of adverse impacts, in which 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 is that you often get systematic differences between between groups, which have not been adequately explained. Right, and it's and which oftentimes you get kind of um, authors who are on the you know extreme right of the political spectrum grabbing onto and explaining based on their own view of the world, um, and so anything that that allows you to collect data which is less affected by the that kind of prism of your of your biases I think great right? but 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 the flip side is yes what is what are you baking into it through your through your, your 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 learning sets yeah and and for me there is a challenge there which which almost almost hamstrings the ability of these these tools to add value which is we're still really, really bad at knowing who's good at their job. Mm. And so it's all well and good to to plug in all your kind of appraisal data and use that as your as your training set to say, well, the guys you are going to do better in, in in their jobs are are the ones we want to look for. But A that's stuff that's measured really, really badly. Typically speaking, you know, um appraisals are or performance ratings are more determined by demands around reward than now around kind of right. you know, because organizations like to move with the times, you probably change your framework probably every two or three or four years. Mm. You know, these days it's all about kind of agility and and innovation and, you know, a few years ago it wasn't that. Yeah. And that means you're not able to kind of measure performance effectively and longitudinally also over time. When you've got bad measures, or even if they're the best they can be at the moment, they're still pretty bad. When you've got bad measures as your training data how good can you expect these wondrous AI methodologies to be? I'm not a technologist. I'm interested in technology. I'm interested in psychology and technology. I'm interested in technology and psychology. But that for me seems like, um, you know, if you could crack that one, actually accurately measure. That's the more
2: fundamental thing, isn't it? We don't yeah. know how don't good know. people are at their jobs. We don't. So, that how then can you measure something that in- indicates how well they're going to perform when you don't really know how well they actually
3: do? Yeah, that? and the answer is you can, you can do it imperfectly. Yeah. Um, so I think there are there are risks, and there are reasons to be sceptical and wary, but there's also reasons to be to be enthusiastic about the opportunity. I think the kind of recommendation is boring stuff like caveat emptor. You yeah. know, be you know, be an informed buyer. So ask questions about what is being what's being baked into these things, and and I and I sent you didn't know my my blog piece. Yeah. One of the things in there is around a distinction which seems... probably seem a bit kind of esoteric and niche, which is, you know, are these things attempting to measure against well-understood psychological constructs or are they measuring against something we don't really understand? Is there a kind of conceptual framework there or is there not? Um, And I would always go for the one that does have the framework because what that means is that while the measurement the type of measurement might be new innovative and and groundbreaking um what it's measuring are things which are are relatively stable over time right and that you know we as, as, as as a race um as a as a species i should say um won't have changed that much over the last 30 years even though technology has and so it's measuring things which you can a understand it means that you know and, and the report that you got to be fair to it did say here are the asp- here are the things we're measuring you against here's here it is for you to think about yeah. and, and take decisions based on whereas if there's no framework there's just a kind of data and output how can you, how could you ever do anything yeah. with, with that um, and so I would be leaning towards methodologies where you can see what the kind of what the what the underlying yeah. psychology is and yeah. what the what the methodology is underneath and what the what the framework is
2: thing here is what rich said he described himself as a principal practitioner in the middle of a gold rush very few people ask to see qualifications and diplomas and i'm just worried that as time goes on these tools will be implemented based on bravado and promises i'm not sure if you've read the bad blood book that came out last year that was about theranos the health startup that was largely built on hyperbole and spin But the thing that comes out really clearly in that was that quite often when there's money to be made, people don't check your receipts. When these big promises being made, people are pretty willing to go along with them. So wonderful principal practitioners like Rich might well have a a manual that invites them how to, to read something and interpret something. The danger is that when a new app slides into the app store, that manual might well exist. But in the same way, I suspect you've never read the manual for your phone. People just generally don't read manuals anymore. It's also worth adding that research into personality tests showed them to be almost completely inaccurate. A lot of you might have completed the most successful workplace personality test, the Myers-Briggs. People get tested on this and and often use their Myers-Briggs description as something they adapt their personality and behaviour to reflect. It tells you things like introvert, extrovert and subgroups of those types. But Myers-Briggs is so unreliable that a person can take it the following month or year and get a totally different result. And if a personality test is just a reflection of whether you've had your coffee in the morning, should that be the basis of a hiring decision? There are a couple of tests that have been shown to get consistent results over time. But are you confident that a startup trying to claim incredible results is going to be focused on diligent testing over a period of years before putting something out there? Thank you to Rich. Yes, indeed. As he said, most most orchestras have now introduced blind auditions. And in fact, uh, many of them now use carpeted stages to avoid the sound of shoes. So he was completely right there. You'll see a couple of links on that in the show notes. Uh, One of them is a TED talk. I'll be honest with you. The future of, uh, of bringing technology into the workplace often excites me. But when it comes to the psychometric tests, I'm worried that great candidates are going to fall foul of bad science. And, you know, as I said there, the, the the history of technology has been that optimism has often been replaced by a remorseful regret. And I suspect really strongly this is going to be one of the areas that missteps take place. I hope you've enjoyed that. Just a really interesting excursion into something that I don't think has been well covered. As ever, feel free to link in to me. Thank you for listening. See you next time.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm
0: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right.